0: Love Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Part 5 of Darker Demons. When we left off last time, Claire and Alexandra were having a discussion about Alexandra's parents, and Claire had just started explaining to her about the relationship her mother and her father had. And... If you're anxious to find out how the book ends before I finish reading it, you can always go to amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com and get a copy and find out. Okay. Now Claire is talking, and she's telling Alexandra about her mother. Then she awoke one morning and knew her time in the physical realm was nearing its end. She went to your father with a request. She wanted to have a child with him a special child. In what way am I special, Alexander asks. Claire says, let me give you a little history, something I should have done years ago. The Anantan Book of Beginnings, the Anand Satya, teaches us that all of creation is woven, woven together like a braid. If you picture a strand of DNA, that is how they describe it. The braid forms a circle and inside the circle That is what we perceive of as reality. Outside the circle, there is no time. No here, no there. It is where all spirits go when they reach full enlightenment and leave the physical plane. Some spirits choose to linger on this plane for a short time before moving on. Usually it is because they have something important to accomplish before departing. For thousands of years, we traveled freely through a gateway connecting our home to other realms, including this one. There are many worlds, and there were many gateways. There was only one rule. No human was allowed to go through the gate until they reached an evolutionary point equal to the beings of other realms. One of the witches broke the rule. She had been warned of the consequences, but perhaps did not believe anything would happen. Alexandra asks, what were the consequences? Claire continues, all of the gateways on this planet closed. The beautifully carved arches disappeared, replaced by pillars of stone and piles of ash. The witch and the human were lost, and all travelers from other realms, including the Anantan, became prisoners here. So what does all this have to do with me, Alexandra asks. It was foretold in the Anansatya, the gate would be closed by an act of betrayal, and could only be reopened by the key. The key is a child born to two of the elders. Our scholars have decoded the year of the birth. It is 2.7, the year in which you were born. You are a child of two elders, Lucian and Lorelei. So that's what Gregory meant by you are the key. And Jake, is that the only reason he sought out a relationship with me, she asks? I'm afraid I can't answer that, Claire says, although I now feel certain I was correct when I told you my suspicions about him. I believe he is a demon, and once went by the name Jacques Saint-Germain. I don't know how many other names he has used, but I suspect thousands. He is an ancient being. Tell me more about demons, Alexandra says. All eyes turn towards Claire, she answers. Demons are the basis of the vampire myths and legends. Humans love their vampires, she says, but no such creature really exists. Part of the tale comes from the ancient alchemists who knew the power of young blood. They understood how to use it to prolong a human life well beyond its normal span. The rest, she continues, probably started because a demon likes to use his teeth while engaged in sex. He makes small bites all over his partner's body, barely breaking the skin. Alexandra feels her face redden as she remembers Jake's love bites. Then he runs his tongue over the wounds. The saliva is like a powerful drug. Once it enters your bloodstream, you become addicted. It is not an unpleasant feeling. At least that's what I've been told. Clarence adds hurriedly. Afterwards, the demon is able to control the actions, sometimes even the thoughts of his victim. That is probably the origin of the idea a vampire can raise people from the dead. His control over a victim is so strong, some people believe it can overcome death. Alexandra says, please stop saying victim. I'm not some helpless victim. Very well, partner. Is that better? Their partners don't rise from the grave and feed on unsuspecting humans. They don't die as a result of the bites. However, the spell of a demon is difficult to break. He is a demon, I am ne- and I am now under his spell. That's how he managed to control my thoughts, create my hallucinations. And he never loved me, Alexander asks. Alex, Claire says, shaking her head. A demon is rarely able to feel love. They have certain needs, but... Enough, Alexandra says, getting up from her, chair, from her chair and heading for the door. Alex, please wait, she hears her friend Rosalind say, but she is already out the door. Breaking into a run, she reaches the gate and slings it open. Hearing footsteps behind her, she runs faster. So fast, she feels as if she is about to become airborne. The only face she can see as she runs is the face of the demon she can never escape. Finally exhausted, Alexandra slows to a walk. She is not paying attention. The man who has been following her approaches quickly and plunges the knife into her back before she has a chance to react. Collapsing to the ground, she calls his name. The pain comes suddenly, sending Jake to the floor. A thousand shards of ice pierce his body. He hears her voice calling him, knowing she is near death is the worst agony he has ever known. Rising up, he bolts out of the house, forgetting he is no longer in human form. Moving so quickly, he is little more than a rush of air. As he passes people on the street, he reaches her within minutes. Seeing her lying on the sidewalk, so pale, he is afraid it is already too late. He picks her up in his arms, cradling her head to his chest. Her breath is fainter than a whisper. Not knowing what else to do, he carries her towards the convent. He leaps over the gate and crashes down in front of the doorway. He sees two of the witches coming towards him. One he recognizes. Claire, please help her, he says, offering her body up like a sacrifice. More witches come and remove her body from his arms. They disappear through the doorway, leaving him alone. What did you do to her? He looks up and sees Tom standing several feet away. I didn't do anything, he says. I brought her here to save her life. Tom demands to know what happened. If you are responsible, I will destroy you, he tells Jake. Someone stabbed her in the back. I heard her call. I felt her pain. When I got to her, she was lying in the street in a pool of blood. I brought her here. That's all I can tell you, he says. (sighs) Tom orders Jake to leave the grounds. She doesn't need you. I'll take care of her, he says. Jake refuses. I'll leave. When she tells me to, he answers. The witches carry Alexandra to a room beneath the convent. Placing her face down on a table in the center of the room, they light the candles lining each wall. Claire hands each of them a robe. They join hands and form a circle around Alexandra. Claire moves to the center beside the table. She exposes the wound in Alexandra's back. It is already inflamed. This was made by an evil weapon. We need to work quickly to remove the poison. Go fetch the demon, she tells Rosalind, and hurry. Rosalind rushes out and returns minutes later, meet by Jake. Tell me what to do, he says. Claire tells him the toxins need to be removed from Alexandra's wounds. He understands what that means. He goes to her and leans over her body. He places his mouth over the wound and pulls the poison out. Falling to his knees, he spits it out, watching as it burns through the floor and into the ground. Quick, throw salt on this wound, he tells them. He sees they are doing essence before closing his eyes and falling into blackness. Claire cleanses the wound with water taken from an ancient well and sews it closed as she recites healing incantations. She covers Alexander with an ancient cloth believed to have great healing power. Joining a circle, she bows her her head and waits. The sun is rising when Alexandra finally opens her eyes. Not knowing where she is, she wonders if she is dead. Then she hears Claire's voice assuring her everything is going to be fine. What happened? How did I get here, she asks, struggling to speak. Jake brought you, Claire says. She doesn't add they are unsure if he will recover from the part he played in saving her life. He is still on the floor unconscious, and Claire is unable to help him. Smiling, Alexandra closes her eyes and is once again asleep. The witches carry her up to her room and place her on the bed. Claire remains in the basement room with Jake. Holding his head in her lap, she recites all the healing verses she knows, but there is no response. Finally, she covers him with the cloth that had helped save Alexandra and leaves him to his fate. Forcing his eyes open, the demon searches for some small spark of light. He is unable to tell where he is or what is happening. Everything is black. He tries to stand, but finds nothing solid to hold him. He reaches out, but finds nothing to grab onto. For the first time in his long... as
1: existence.
0: He experiences fear. The void is endless, timeless, and he keeps falling deeper into darkness. He closes his eyes again and conjures up visions of Alexandra. He sees her face, feels her body beneath him. If this is the end, he thinks, I'll go holding on to my memory of her. He hears voices in the void, tempting him to remain. Feeling hands reaching out to grasp him, he cries out, I won't stay. Leave me be. If I can't be with Alexander, I shall simply will myself out of existence. Then he hears voices mocking him, saying, The great demon Eziel feels love. What a shame. Let him go. He's useless now. His freefall stops at last as his body hits something solid. Opening his eyes, <clears throat> he sees the walls of the convent cellar. He hurries up the stairs and follows the sound of friendlier voices. Opening the door to Claire's office, he finds her there talking to Rosalyn. Relief spreads across her face. You look like hell, she tells Jake. Is she? She's fine. You saved her, Claire tells him. Nodding, he closes the door and returns home to rest and regain his strength. Claire finds Tom in the courtyard. She tells him the news. She expects Alexandra to make a full recovery. His relief is obvious, but she senses it is not entirely heartfelt. Wondering why she is detecting something beneath the surface of this seemingly ordinary man, she tells Tom it would be best if he returns to his home. We will certainly let you know when she is ready to have visitors. In the meantime, you should try to get some rest, she tells him. Annoyed at being dismissed, Tom asks about Jake. Is he still here, he demands to know. Claire politely tells him Jake's location is not his concern. She asks again that he leave the Cotton grounds. Deciding not to make an issue of it, Tom does as he's asked, does as she, returning to the apartment, finds Alexander's note propped up against the empty beer glass from the previous night. Ripping it into tiny paper daggers, he angri- angrily says to no one, Farewell, not if I can help it. Heading for the shower, Tom hits the remote, turning on the TV. While in the shower, his fantasies return. Alexandra appears, holding out her arms to him. He embraces her, kisses her naked flesh. The heat of his body turns the water to steam. His heart races as his tongue traces the curve of her breast. Moves down her taut stomach. Okay, I think that's it for this episode. And as I said, you can pick up a copy of the book at Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. And I hope you all tune in next week for episode 11. That's it.